This podcast provides a platform for our guests to express their own personal views and opinions. Some or all of these views and opinions may not be shared by Ben and or Yoel. Welcome to the Two Dad to Quit podcast. The podcast where we highlight stories of dads on the other side of divorce. To inspire and give strength to dads going through it. I'm Ben. And I'm Yoel. Welcome back to the Two Dad to Quit podcast. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe. Make sure to comment. Those ratings in the podcast platforms is super important. So let's get us up in the rankings in Spotify so we can get the word out to more and more people, as well as Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much. This week, we are sitting with Brian A. Vandiver. He is a father, a divorce father, but more importantly, he's an advocate uh, and a lobbyist. And, and it's trying to make shared custody kind of the default for parents going through divorce and not where it matters who is the mother, who's the father, just equal parenting should be the default in the system. And it's amazing to hear his journey. Uh, he's, he's, put together a, a kind of a system, an outline. Uh, he gives advice for any of you that want to do this in your state. He has been extremely successful. He's got a big plan. He has great partners. And this is all the things he's doing on his spare time while he has his law practice. Um, and I think he has a, it's just super insightful and we got a lot into the system and understanding what is the current state of things. Um, and I think you'll benefit greatly to know what can be done if, if enough people get together and, and build a movement that you can actually change things and you're not just stuck with the system as it is today. Yeah, Ben, you really hit the nail on the head. Brian had his own experiences going through divorce and he saw what was a, a playing field that wasn't level. And he actually did something about it. He took action and was able to affect change, changing the state of the law. And that's had ripple effects for states uh, throughout the United States. And it's really amazing to see what a man can accomplish uh, if he puts his mind to it. And uh, he's got a full life. He's happily uh, remarried. He's got a blended family. He's got a busy law practice. And yet still he was able to take action and make change, which has had a dramatic uh, affect helping out other dads out there, uh, lowering uh, the amount of litigation cases. And you can listen to uh, to what Brian has to say to learn more about just how about how he went about making that change and uh, how he was able to uh, to take action. And uh, I'm really excited for our uh, audience to uh, to hear what Brian has to say. Yeah. And we talk about it a little bit, but, you know, he's one of those guys that I would love to have actually in government elected and being able to champion this even even more uh, to to the rest of the states and and make there a real movement because this is the way it should be. So I present to you, Brian Vanderveer. Our guest today is Brian A. Vandiver. Brian is an attorney from Arkansas with three kids and two stepkids. He is also a volunteer lobbyist trying to implement parental equality legislation in the United States, which Arkansas is a leader in the nation on the presumption of joint custody laws. So I've found Brian, uh, you know, looking around Twitter for people 
kind of on the same mission as us. And I, I saw how active you were and, and how proud you were of your work. Um, and that's kind of what drew me to reach out and, and ask you to be on here because I know we have, you know, most of our audience is from the States. And so would, you know, I think your knowledge and, and the space and, and even from my own childhood as, you know, my parents got divorced when I was eight months old. And I remember being in court and the judge asking me when I was five years old who I wanted to live with. And so I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, and if there's any way to prevent any kid from going through what I went through, I, I you know, I'm all for it. So we're really happy well, to have you here. Hello to you guys. Hello to your audience. And I appreciate the opportunity to visit. Awesome. So, you know, we always like to find a little bit out about our guests and, and what, what got you to who you are today. And, you know, you're definitely a passionate person. I can tell, you know, for sure. And, uh, you know, what made you decide to be a lawyer, uh, you know, what your family was like growing up, uh, et cetera. So we'd love to hear that. Sure, sure. So I'm a, a 48, um, born and raised in Arkansas, went to a um, high school in, in East Arkansas in the Delta, played baseball growing up. So baseball has always been my passion. I uh, went nice. to a small, yeah, small liberal arts uh, college called Hendricks College in Arkansas. It's a little north of Little Rock. And then went straight to law school from there uh, uh, at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. So been in Arkansas my entire life and uh, started practicing law. And really, my practice is employment for mostly the corporate side, uh, the defense side. I do some plaintiff's work, um, but the majority overwhelmingly is uh, corporate defense employment litigation and advice. So your typical HR questions like, you know, what do we do with this situation? Uh, wage and hour discrimination, that type of thing. Um, so I was um, married in uh, 2001 and then uh, divorced in from that marriage in 2016. And um, we had uh, children. Um, and, you know, as a lawyer, you you kind of when you're do the practice I do and you don't go to family courts ever, you assume all the courts are the same and um, the, the playing field is going to be the same and um, the evidentiary standards are going to be interpreted the same. And it was just a real, it was a real shock to me as a lawyer and a party uh, to go through what I went through having to try to defend myself as a good dad. Um, yeah. so, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to have, um, you know, a, a joint custody resolution, uh, not a lot of dads get that. And so I am uh, more fortunate than many dads, uh, probably some of your, your guests that watch, um, uh, your, your show. So, you know, I kind of, after that experience, uh, in my heart knew that, something had to change. We had to do something. We, I had to get involved and really got motivated to, to become an advocate. And I met uh, Gina and Patrick Fraley, who had formed um, Arkansas Advocates for Parental Equality. And in 2019, we ran a bill that failed in the Judiciary Committee. And we kind of then at that point came up with a two-year plan um, to come back in 2021 with our goal and uh, we got it across the, the finish line. 
Amazing. And what, what is in that? I guess you guys kind of want to lead the way of changing, you know, across the country. So what were kind of the main points in that? So Arkansas Act 604, uh, and I, I encourage all of your viewers to um, to Google it. It's it's out there, um, but it is um, our new law for for joint custody, and we are the the we were the second state to adopt a what's called a rebuttable presumption of 50-50 shared parenting. Kentucky was the first, and they they adopted their rebuttable presumption uh, in twenty eighteen. And for the, your viewers that don't know legalese, a, a rebuttable presumption just assumes the fact. It assumes that it exists and you don't have to prove it with evidence. So it's kind of like a, a starting point in the law. Like a default. Uh, that, yeah, default uh, presumption. And um, so we went a step further than Kentucky, though, because Kentucky um, – so for your viewers, burdens of proof, or that were that was a big issue for us, and most civil cases, including family courts in Ar in Arkansas and in the U.S., uh, rely on what's called the preponderance of evidence standard, and that is simply the the weight of the evidence, which which uh, how the scales tip one way or the other with a with a feather of evidence. And that's all that it takes for a judge to decide most civil cases, including child custody cases. Um, and that's what's required um, to rebut the presumption in, in Kentucky. So we wanted to go a step further than that. And we adopted what's called a clear and convincing evidence standard. And that is a burden of proof between preponderance of evidence and what the criminal courts use as beyond reasonable doubt. Most people mm -hmm. are familiar with that standard. Right. So clear and convincing is kind of that intermediate, um, intermediate standard between those. And you've, you've got to have um, real strong evidence to overcome that. And we, we felt that that standard was appropriate and necessary um, because that's the standard that the U.S. Supreme Court requires for states to meet to take children away in parental termination cases when they're terminating parental rights, right? So that's that's to protect your fundamental right as a parent when the state gets involved. And we wanted to use that st same standard in child custody litigation to protect parental rights in those cases. And that's the Arkansas State uh, Supreme Court or the Supreme Court Supreme Court? That's the U the U.S. Supreme Court uh, okay. established that in 1982. Uh, the the case is uh, Santosky v. Kramer, I believe. And it, uh, I encourage your viewers and you to, to read that because it's a really good read about the fundamental right of a parent uh, under the U.S. Constitution um, and and the due process rights that a parent has um, when when um to, to raise your children and so in, in you know before that case a lot of states only used the preponderance of evidence standard when states were seeking to terminate parental rights so um that case kind of made all the states say no you have to use clear and convincing evidence before you can do that and you know that's 40 years ago right so, Brian, I just want to ask you, and this could be because it's uh, 12, 15 a.m. here in the Middle East where, where I am. So uh, but there could be some viewers out there. I just want to try and put it back to like 
like you were saying, layman's terms or, or, you know, to keep it simple, what would somebody expect, let's say, you know, prior to the work that you've done in terms of changing the, the legislation, what would a dad, to use that example, expect when he was walking into court in such a, a litigation case versus what he could expect now? Can you sort of put it in, sure. in example terms? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, in most cases and in a lot of cases before the law changed, um, you know, it was kind of even though the law says that the you know the sex isn't a factor, it was always a factor. And in practice, uh, we had a lot of old judges that um, would award custody to moms, primary custody or sole custody. And, you know, the stats uh, show that not only from our state, from states all across the U.S., that 80 to 90 percent of primary custody decisions go to mom. Uh, so, you know, to, to change that dynamic, I mean, dads from from the outset before the law changed were kind of uh, on the deep playing defense. You, you had to prove something above and beyond that moms just didn't have to prove uh, that you were fit and capable of, of sharing joint custody. And the other dynamic is that a lot of judges just did not want to award joint custody in our state. They kind of had this um, even though our law from 2013 said we favored it, uh, they just had this um, predisposition against awarding joint custody, particularly in cases where the parents could not uh, necessarily um, get along all the time or they're arguing, you know, there's any kind of conflict. The judges would use that as a reason to say, oh, they can't, you know, they can't get along. So we're, we're not going to award joint custody, which you know, it's just a, it's an easy scapegoat because any parents who are in litigation are going to have some conflict. So right. uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's, you can't say that uh, there's not going to be any conflict. That's just the nature of litigation. So what we did with our law is to kind of reduce some of that. And, and we had some specific wording to address that point, to say before the judge can uh, do something different than joint custody, the judge has to try to work um, work out the conflict in the judge's order uh, to resolve the conflict before destroying joint joint custody. So wh whether that's wow. giving dad, uh, you know, dis decisions on schools and mom decisions on medical or something like that as a hypothetical. The judge has to try to work out that conflict in orders, if possible, before destroying joint custody. So, so tell me if I if I got this right, Brian. It's it was always the case. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was always the case that by law, um, you know, the judges should be looking at. And again, I'm just trying to put this in simple terms. The judge should be looking at the mother and father equally when deciding on custody. But in reality. The judges were not necessarily, or you know, in, in your opinion, weren't doing that at all, or, or not as much as they should. Whereas now, thanks to your legislation, a judge may still have a predisposition. Like we can't change what's in the mindset of a person, but they have a higher accountability based on the standard you've now put into place by the legislation. Is that is that right? That's exactly right. Not only do they have a higher accountability, but they. I think there's been a, um, an awareness and education brought out by the 
publicity of our new law and um, just not only education uh, among the judges and the judiciary, but uh, the lawyers and the public as well. Now, everyone knows that the law has changed dramatically and there is now a new starting point. Um, so, you know, before each parent had to prove that, that they were worthy and fit, now we're going to assume both parents are fit unless there's clear evidence otherwise. And, you know, we're talking about drugs or abuse or something of that nature where there's a real legitimate problem. Did, did you have opposition? You know, I, I want to ask you, uh, Ben, oh, I, don't yeah. to, I, don't, I don't want to steal the show here. but It's I'm okay. Sorry. That's why I invited you here. <laughs> I'm very curious about this. So I, I, I want to ask you about the anatomy of how you go about making such a change. I think that'd be very interesting. I'm certainly interested. Well, curious about if you had opposition to it as well. So it's kind of two two point question. Yeah, we, we had huge opposition. Uh, so, you know, we, we wanted to reach for that clear and convincing standard of proof because we knew and I knew as a lawyer how dramatic it would be and how important it would be to change the dynamic of of litigation. Um, and so that's that was our goal to do that. And like I said, we're we're the only state so far to do it. I know Ohio's trying to do it. They're going to have a bill that's going to drop here in the next couple of days. They had one last year that was House Bill 508 that got stuck in committee, but they're going to try again with clear and convincing evidence. Uh, there are some other states that will try again, I think. Uh, but yeah, our opposition was uh, mainly from the judges and the, the family lawyers. And they formally came out and opposed uh, this change uh, on record. And and our, we, we were fortunate enough to have strong legislators that just didn't give that much weight. What was their reasoning as far to, as far as you understand? Like, what were they saying was their reason to oppose it? Well, I think from the judge judicial standpoint, their arguments were that, you know, we've done it this way for 100 years. It's always been the best interest of the child. The judges need the discretion to make these decisions and on an individualized basis. They know the facts best, you know, all the same arguments that we hear all the time. And, you know, my rebut rebuttal to that was, well, if what we've been doing hasn't worked, then why would we keep doing it that way? Because uh, clearly we're not getting the results that we want. We have a lot of fathers that are being excluded unnecessarily from custody situations. So why would we keep using that same paradigm if we're not getting the results that we want? And let's let's do something different. Um, and of course, the lawyers, the family lawyers, um, you know, they would never say this, but it was they were afraid of the dramatic reduction in litigation. Right. Uh, and and from, from all accounts that I've talked to in the past year plus, there has been a significant drop in custody litigation. Uh, not the number of cases, because you're not going to reduce right. the number of divorces or the, the number of paternities filed, but it's that you know, amount of time that it takes litigating those issues and fighting about custody. Um, so I've heard from a number of lawyers and a number of judges who have all said the new law has greatly simplified that process. And does this law have any effect on like uh, child support and things like that? 
because it is 50-50 by default? Well, not directly, uh, but uh, child support is uh, determined by how much time you spend uh, with, uh, you know, how much custody time you have. And so we have a formula in Arkansas that takes into account if you have, you know, over a 141 uh, cust custodial nights a year, then you're going to get some type of offset uh, and you're not going to pay as much. Um, now you can still have 50-50 custody and uh, pay because we, we have an income share model currently. Uh, but um, generally if, both parents are making about the same amount of money and they're they're sharing equal custody. Most judges I'm familiar with are not going to order child support. Oh, that's amazing. And do you have a plan to are you people consulting you from other other states? Are, are you the guy now? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm not the guy, but I'm one of of uh I'm in, I'm in a group of connected individuals who are trying to advocate uh, and use Arkansas uh, and Kentucky and uh, West Virginia was the third state to adopt a rebuttable presumption in uh, last year in 2022. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to reach out and have told any state who has a similar bill, I'm, I'm happy to visit with, speak on behalf of uh, any legislation. So, uh, yes, I'm, I'm going to be working with Ohio this year and some other states to try to get similar bills passed. And is it easier on the state level than to do something federal or federal doesn't have any impact on these cases? Well, uh, in, in the U.S., all of these decisions are made at the state level as far as custody decisions. The only impact really um, from the federal level would be uh, what we call the, the Title IV defunding that is a supplement to the child support th that the states collect. And uh, so from that aspect, uh, you know, to get anything done at the federal level in the U.S. is impossible. Yeah. Um, but this is more of a state-by-state -state approach because each state has its own law with regard to uh, child custody and how custody decisions are made. So right. uh, we're just trying to identify states that are kind of in that top tier of um, targets for 2023 and, um, you know, take them one at a time. And what, what makes them a top tier? Are there like a specific criteria? Like their laws are pretty close. They're just not almost there or they've got the right yeah. people in the, in the house. Or... I, I think a combination of all of that, the, You've got to consider first, um, you know, what is the the current political climate in that state? And is there going to be an appetite for this? Uh, what is their current law? Um, how easily is it going to be to, to change it? And what type of opposition are, are you going to see? So, um, you know, if you, we are a, just a deep red state in Arkansas, we had a very conservative legislature. Um, I think it, you know, if you go to another state that's a real blue state, uh, you might get a lot more opposition from, say, domestic violence groups and things of that nature. Um, so it just depends. The, the politics of it are, are interesting because this issue doesn't necessarily cut red and blue. We had it a lot of. No, and it shouldn't. Um, we had a lot of um, Democrat support for our bill, uh, particularly from minority fathers who were legislators in our 
uh, uh, House and, and Senate who saw the importance of this and supported it. Um, and so we had a, a good crossover vote from them. And then, of course, we lost some female Republican votes because they just didn't like what it did. So, uh, yeah, there, yes. there's a there's a stat I talk about a lot, which is kind of like 70, 70, 80 percent of divorces nowadays are being uh, filed by the woman. Um, so. I don't know uh, it from a you know, if that stat is accurate, then, you know, this can be life changing for many, many men, because I know I have several friends that just haven't seen their kids for a long time in the States or they just it, it's just too much to do it or they have like uh, to get on level footing. They have to have um, like supervised visits, just, you know, that whole comeback from behind um, experience is, is demeaning right. and, and deteriorating, you know, which is another reason we started the podcast, because, you know, just to to show men that have made it through whatever that experience is and still have a relationship with their kids and how important it is. Um, so even though the middle sucks, but that maintaining that relationship or finally getting that relationship is so important and important for, for your kids, um, you know, to be productive. Well, I tell you, the work that you guys are doing, Ben, you know, it's just phenomenal. And it's, it's so important to have um, podcasts like this as a resource for men because uh, men who go through this challenge really um, society doesn't doesn't recognize the hurdles that that a lot of men like us face and um, sometimes men get lost uh, and don't have the support they need uh, particularly when it comes to the relationship with their children because I know and I'm, I'm sure you know that that's there's nothing more important than that and so when you get that taken away from you or even, you know, the threat of it being taken away from you, um, it, it can turn uh, what was a very normal dad into someone who is not thinking straight. And uh, you get you can get lost easily in uh, depression and, and other things. So I commend you for your work. Appreciate that, Brian. And, and let me ask you, like, you know, if, if you're open to talking about it, like what helped you? You know, I, I want to get back to like how you how, you know, how the actual change of legislation looks like, because I am curious and I'm sure there are people um, that want to take action wherever they are. Anybody out there listening, they don't know how they don't know how to start. So I want to get to that. But I do want to ask you, because this was a good segue in terms of your experience. Like, was there something that you were able to turn to? Like not was it getting yourself involved in making this change that helped, you know, sort of push you and, and keep you level headed? Like what helped you get through it? You know, a lot of things um, just kind of, um, I think, getting involved, being an advocate, finding some passion as an outlet uh, certainly helped a lot. Um, I reconnected, um, you know, with with some old friends that I hadn't seen in a long time and, and kind of rekindled some some of those relationships. Um partly because I wanted to, and partly because as many of your viewers may know, when you go through divorce, you lose a lot of relationships and friendships. So oh, yeah. it's important, it's important to have friendships and people that you can talk to and, and rely upon um, as a dad, as, and uh, as a father, um, you know, spend a lot of time with my own dad, just kind of talking about 
um, you know, how he raised me and, um, and how important it was to me to have that relationship and still is. And, um, and then of course I've, I've been a fisherman my whole life and, um, bass, bass fisherman in the South. So I, I had lost kind of that, um, hobby and in the past couple of years particularly have kind of re and re uh connected with that and so just being outdoors and doing something you love um is is helpful awesome uh, and, and your your parents are married divorced they are both still married they have, they they married uh um, and i was born a year later and uh they are still married so clo closing in on 50 years for them wow, wow. amazing yeah. um Okay, so I it's uh, that that whole thing about reaching out and, and losing friendships and gaining friendships or refinding friendships. You know, it's it's kind of like you're you're left at you know kind of square one again after the divorce, and and you're trying to figure out what <laughs> what now. And you know, there is a lot of that. I'm going to go back to what I used to know uh, because I lost some of it along the way. Um, was that sort of the same feeling you were having just as opposed yeah, to finding I mean, starting from scratch? It's a lot easier to go, you know. Yeah, some good friends from high school and college, you know, that were um, there before the marriage and have always been there, but you kind of lost touch with. And so reconnected with some of them um, and then, you know, made new friends uh, just uh, through uh dad's groups uh, advocacy that have similar experiences um other dads that go to uh, their children go to school with my children and we connected just over uh, common issues so um I, you know it's it's tough and i've you know i've been in the valley many times and and just thought man how am i going to get through this but i would encourage all of your viewers just hang in there um, not for yourself, but for your kids, because, um, you know, they, that's, that's what's important. Um, no, I wanted to jump forward because now, you know, you're remarried, you met someone. Um, how, how was that process? It's been uh, phenomenal. She's amazing. Um, her name's Sarah. Um, we, we were married in December, 2019. Um, and this is our blended family behind me. So she has two, I have three and, um, yeah, it's a kind of a crazy madhouse when all the kids are here, but it's fun. And it's, uh, uh, and then we have weekends when it's just the two of us. So how did you, how did you guys meet? Was it, I'm assuming it wasn't an app, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, it was online. Yeah. We met online and, um, uh, nice. uh, it, we, she's, a. uh, nine years younger. Uh, so we didn't really have a lot of, um, mutual, hardly any mutual friends. And so I kind of wanted someone outside of the old circles that I was familiar with, um, and just someone new, uh, completely different. And, uh, I think it was kind of, you know, that kind of love, love at first sight. And from, uh, day one, our first date, we, we've been together. So, oh. and she's local also. Arkansas girl? She is. Um, she has some roots up in the Northeast, but she's lived in Arkansas most of her life uh, from very young. And um, uh, she um, is um, works here in Little Rock. Nice. Amazing. 
Um, um, go ahead, Joel. No, I was going to get back to the legislation, Ben, but I don't know if you yeah, want to. I wanted you to bridge back. Go for it. <laughs> no, because I, I, I was curious, Brian. I mean, you, you've touched upon it, but I, again, just to make it uh, simple for our audience. So, you know, somebody's in your situation and they're noticing, you know, something's not right here. This very issue in another state, for example, right? So let's say in a state where the process has not been, has not started, like you talked about West Virginia and other places, but somewhere outside of that, and somebody's you know listening to this podcast or watching, and they want to make a change. So how does that look? Like practically speaking, what is somebody's next step? Well, I think you you know it's you've got to know what the law currently says, and then to know how to change it. So you know you need to be able to understand the code, and then make the fine tuning of the code. The way we did, and I, I helped draft and, and amend what we did, and so we had a lot of lawyers on board helping us. And I, you, you need some lawyers that are friendly to your cause to to write the code and change it the way you want to, um, and you know write a good bill. And then, and then after that, you've got to have sponsors willing to fight for it. Uh, yeah. We had strong sponsors. Our Senator Alan Clark and Representative Jimmy Gasway are both very strong sponsors. Uh, Representative Gasway is an attorney, so he was um, obviously articulate in the law. And Senator Clark's been a warrior for children's rights in Arkansas for a long time. So um, we were fortunate to have good sponsors. Uh, we had a good ground team that kind of worked the reps and got the support in the legislature because we, we kept it kind of quiet. We didn't do a lot of publicity. We didn't do a lot of stuff on Facebook really until, you know, the week before the vote, mm. because we didn't want to, we didn't want to drum up opposition for, for one. And, and we knew right. that that really doesn't, it's not effective to convince legislators um, that way. You, you've got to have that FaceTime meet, sit down and meet with them, explain your, your bill and, and why it's important. And we out lobbied most of the paid lobbyists up there, if not all of them uh, wow. in our volunteer efforts on that, on that one bill. And after that session, all of the legislators told us our bill got more attention than almost any other bill. And there were a lot of controversial bills from Arkansas that session. So we had a lot of, a lot of work uh, put in and, and we had to, because, the forces that you're fighting are are huge. I mean, you're fighting the judge, the judicial, uh, uh, the judges, and so you've got the entire judiciary that's going to be against you probably. And then most of the lawyers, particularly the family lawyers. So um, there's a lot of strong forces there that are going to oppose it, and that's going to be true in Ohio and every other state that tries this. Right. Because they want to keep doing things the same way, and um, they they don't want they don't want to, to change. Yeah, it's 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 kind of it's not kind of it's it's pretty disturbing. Like you know, obviously you can't get into the minds of somebody else, but you mentioned before that nobody's going to say this. But for for and you know, we're not making any specific allegations of anyone specific, but. You know, take a family lawyer, you said before, that doesn't want the bill changed because of, you know, the reality that there's a reduction in litigation files. Like, do you think that that's a sort of a conscious 
reason or people kind of just, you know, justify to themselves and, and whatnot? Like, do you think there is there are there are people out there that would actually fight something, you know, and this is a maybe a naive question, but just for the sole reason that I am going to lose business, could it be that? Oh, absolutely. Huh. Absolutely. And family lawyers are the bottom dwellers of lawyers. <laughs> and I, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you, they are. Um, and I've got some friends. I've asked family lawyer who's a divorcee himself. <laughs> yeah, they and I've got some friends that are, you know, some exceptions to the rule. But, um, you know, for the most part, family lawyers make a living off of the pain and agony that families go through. And if there's not conflict, uh, they're going to try to create that conflict through litigation. And the more conflict they can create, um, you know, the more money they make. So absolutely that that played a part into it. And um, I can tell you that, uh, you know, the litigation has dropped dramatically in the past year when it comes to child custody cases. I mean, this this is interesting because it's uh, you know we we had a podcast with a family lawyer hasn't gone uh, live yet um, and uh, I I definitely have you know experienced unfortunately what you know what you're describing in terms of the approach of um, you know I I've seen I've seen let's just say I've seen what you're what you're describing in in in, in family lawyers um, at the same time though like this family lawyer that we had on our podcast uh, is actually a friend of mine. So, uh, you know, he was talking about the fact that a lot of them work collaboratively to try and sort of yeah. bridge to, to bridge the gap, you know, yes. He's from Canada. So, you know, Ben was joking. He doesn't know if that's because Canadians are more polite or something like that. I'm a Canadian myself. But um, isn't it fair to say there are obviously obviously you're speaking of generalities, but there are family lawyers that do have a genuine interest in sort of helping people through their issues as well. Yes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. There are there are some exceptions to the rule. Right. There are some great family lawyers here in Arkansas that I trust and rely upon. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm happy to share those names uh, if anyone's interested. But there are some good ones and they try to do the right thing. They they try to do collaborative law the right way mm -hmm. and try to get a resolution the, the right way without going to court. Uh, so yeah, they, they do exist. And we were fortunate enough to have a few of them come testify in support of our bill. So we, we had that support from, from those that stood up and said, no, this, this is a good thing. And, and we need this. And I don't agree with the majority of the bar association. So, um, you know, other states that try this are going to have to, ha are going to have to find those lawyers willing to stand up like that. By the way, speaking of those lawyers, a question I've seen a lot is, you know, a lot of men, you know, when they're just starting out, other than getting referrals from other guys or whatever, like what's something, you know, can you speak to, you know, what's something somebody should look for when they're, you know, trying to find somebody to help them to find a family lawyer? Um, are there sort of red flags that one should look out for? Because I, I know a lot of men ask about how do you choose the right family lawyer? Yeah, um, so I would encourage you know, ask questions um, like, um, have, have you ever represented a mom seeking um, primary custody? And if so, you know, what, what were the reasons? Because all the, you know, their cases are public record. Mm -hmm. um, and or just ask, you know, what, what were the cases where you've represented a mom? 
uh, seeking primary custody and give me those case numbers. And then you can look up those cases and see what that attorney actually filed against the other dad. And, you know, some attorneys will file pleadings uh, that, you know, are above board and, and say, you know, we, we really need primary custody in this case because the dad is addicted to drugs or uh, for some other reason. And um, maybe maybe that was the case. But then, you know, I have other attorneys that file pleadings just filled with nonsense and lies. And um, you can really get a sense of who that person is by reading what they filed in the past. So, um, you know, I encourage, you know, take some time to, to do that type of homework, but get, get a sense of what they've actually done in the past. Um, and then you can also ask, uh, you know, what do you typically, you know, charge and what's, what's the range? Because if you've got attorneys that are just, charging ridiculous amounts of money into the six figures for a custody case, then that, sh that should be a red flag as well. Oh, that's great. That's really helpful advice. Yeah. I never even thought of that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so you have, I don't know, it could be some, one of our listeners get, you know, listens to this podcast and they say, Hey, I want to get involved. I want to do this in my state. I want to be the spearheader. Would do your, the people that you work with in, in your group, do they have connections to other states as well? I do. I've worked with uh, New Hampshire. I've worked with people in um, Florida, uh, Missouri. Uh, we've had some rumblings in South Carolina, Indiana, um, trying to think Minnesota. There's been efforts in the past in a lot of these states to get a rebuttable presumption, they've all failed. So, you know, it's kind of um, which, again, which state is going to have um, the appetite and and the energy to, to try to get something done. And so I'm happy to talk to anyone at any time. Uh, but at some point, you know, you've got to have boots on the ground in that state to really carry the, carry the water. Is there a, an organization, nonprofit in your future? Well, I work with a lot of different nonprofits um, on the national level. Um, primarily, I don't know if you're if you're familiar with Greg Ellis, who wrote the Respondent. Um, and if you've not read that book, I encourage you to read it. He's an actor and author uh, out of California that went through a, a horrible ordeal, uh, but it's really a, an excellent book for fathers. Well, um, and then Greg Ellis. Uh, um, the book's called the book's called the respondent and uh, he has a national nonprofit called children and parents united so that's one that we're working with uh, that i'm working with directly and then of course we have um, um, national parents organization is a national nonprofit that works for um, legislative efforts um, and they helped write uh, the bill in kentucky and the one in west virginia i believe and they, and they had okay. a role in, in our ours as well. Um, uh, obviously the father's rights movement, I've worked a lot with, uh, with them. Um, and then Americans for equal and shared parenting, um, Mark Lugwood's group out of Missouri. So those are all national groups that I've worked with and, um, think highly of. And, you know, we're the way I look at it, we're all on the same team and the more yeah. energy and people we can get involved, the better.
yeah, that, that's actually a great list, and we'll link to all of those uh, in the description, and and uh, that that's a huge help. Um, have you been in touch with anybody internationally? Because from what I see, you know, just just roaming Twitter, there's now like a, a movement in the UK, and some some uh, some of their ministers speaking out pretty loudly and vocally about it. Yeah, I'm. You know, I I did a. Um podcast i want to say maybe a year ago right after we passed our law and it was an international um it was an international parental rights podcast and we had uh, a lot on people on there from the uk and other countries from europe and um, south america and they all wanted to hear about what arkansas did and, um, amazing uh, but i've not worked with anyone directly in the uk um, I've, I've seen, you know, being a member of different, um, parental rights groups and dad's rights groups, you, you see comments from people in the UK and Canada and Australia and other, other countries, but I've not worked with anyone directly. And, you know, I'd love to like dive into kind of when you were invited to that podcast and you're speaking to all these people and they all want to pick your brain, like how does that feel you know that you you know you well, went from was, you you went from this horrible experience to now you know like you know people are turning to you to get them you know out of it yeah i was a little i don't know i don't know gun shy is the right word maybe just guarded because when you start talking about international law and every nation is different uh and so once i get outside of my comfort zone i i get a little um guarded and and you know normally i would just kind of inquire and ask you know what does their country currently do and you know how can you try to do something similar to what the u.s what we did in arkansas and uh, it's amazing to me how different countries and different cultures uh, do something so dramatically different um, because if you look at countries like you know sweden and some other countries that really have progressive uh, parental equality laws, uh, and then uh, some other countries that, you know, have very uh, draconian laws, um, and just even worse than the U.S. or, or other places. So it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting when, when you think about that, and, and because the, the nature of um, a, a relationship between a father and a child or any parent and a child doesn't change just because you change your boundary in a country. It's, it's, it's just, uh, the culture may be different, but it's, it's still the same relationship. Yeah. I mean, in Israel where we're based, so there were laws, I believe that changed in 2016, uh, which is similar to this, where if you're making the same amount of money and there's no issues, you know, 50-50 is the default and also no no uh, support, um, child support. Um, but it's still still not the rule of the land, uh, but officially it is. Um, so it, it, there's definitely a change in the air, um, which is, you know, really, really good to see. But, you know, still the stories of even, you know, I don't know if we want to go there, but you know, the guys who get the, the bum, the bum deal and just can't deal with it and, and commit suicide. 
like there are some huge ramifications to the system as it is. Um, it was one of the things that woke me up. Um, I, I was going through it and I saw a news story here in Israel where a father had, had to pay like three times his salary as child support and he couldn't do it. So they put him in jail and then he went to court to see if he can lower it. And they said no. And he killed himself. And that one shook me to the core. And it's, it's not the only one. By far. No, it's not. It's, um, I mean, those stories are awful. And, and uh, I just encourage if if you have one view or anyone that's watching that's, that's struggling with that issue, reach out, find some help because um, it's not worth it. Um, so I, I encourage any of you to do that. And I've given my cell phone out. I'm happy to visit with anyone at any time and please um, uh, you know, reach out to me. Um, I'm happy to visit, but I, you know, it's not just suicide. It's you, you hear stories about custody exchanges and dads getting murdered like John Mass, and then other, and other stories like that where they're getting gunned down. And then you hear stories about maybe they don't die, but just the, I mean, if you look at the statistics of the, the negative effects on health of dads who go through uh, conflict, um, custody litigation, it is, it is devastating because you're dealing with stress and anxiety and, a, and just a, a whole list of negative health consequences. You don't eat right. You don't get enough sleep. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's important for, for guys and men to understand that and, and recognize, Hey, you've got to take care of yourself to be able to take care of your children. Um, and so please do that. Yeah, very, very well said. Very well said. Mm. Yeah, so um, I, I, I'm so curious where you see this in like five years from now. You know, I I kind of have a five, 10, 20 year, you know, I don't know if you recall um, in the States when kind of the um, marijuana law started happening and they started you know you have one state kind of adopt it and then you had others and you know we we kind of um we we want to be that leader that example that that blueprint and then other states follow and hopefully we get a two three more next year and then you know in five years maybe we have a handful of states that have done it um, in 10 years, maybe we have a dozen and, you know, maybe in 20 years, half the states have followed what we what we've done. And that would be amazing. Um, wow. And so you think it's you know, going to be that that slow? I think it's going to be it's going to be tough because it's the forces that we're battling against in each state are, are very tough. So I think, uh, you know, you're dealing with a lot of um, a lot of money involved, to be honest, a lot of money involved and a lot of power when it comes to the judiciary and lawyers. So it, it takes and we just had we just had the perfect dynamic in Arkansas to get it um, over the line. And if to be honest, if it hadn't aligned with our team and our sponsors uh, the way it did. I don't know that we could have done what we did in Arkansas. So it was a really um, kind of the stars aligned and we had a great team and um, 
you know, we just had people that worked and it's, it's hard to find people that want to work that hard. Um, I, I tell you, uh, Patrick and his wife, Gina, they worked so hard uh, just as volunteer lobbyists uh, to get this done. Um, and they just put in the hours. And so now that every legislator in, in Arkansas knows who we are, they know our faces when we're at the state Capitol, they know what our issue is. And they, right. Uh, so it's um, and again, all of the paid legislate, the paid lobbyists are, you know, you guys are out working us. Why? <laughs> how do you do this? It's because we care. And, you know, we we do it because we, we care about our issue and we don't want to be a paid lobbyist. We want to be a, a grassroots lobbyist group who really cares about reform and change. Good for you. It's amazing. Were, were you ever were you ever concerned about any sort of personal backlash you may face like I, I don't know if you're in private practice or you know whether it's clients or any sub people you're doing work for who may be on opposite sides of the of the of the uh, of the spectrum were you ever concerned about that and and has that impacted you at all in any way on a personal level uh I'd say yes and no um you know yes I was concerned just being a lawyer in in the Arkansas bar you you don't want to upset other lawyers um, it's not generally my nature to, to do that, but at the same time, I want to do what's right. And I want to do what's best for Arkansas families and, and, uh, Arkansas children. Um, has it impacts me? No, not really. Uh, if anything, uh, it's given me more of a platform to speak about this issue. And, you know, my private practice is so disconnected from this issue. It, it really has no bearing on my private practice. So, um, uh, I've continued to do what I do um, without any uh, retribution. That's amazing. Do you think politics are in your future? Uh, I doubt it. I, <laughs> uh, I've been asked uh, to run for, you know, legislative office in Arkansas and, um, you know, maybe uh, down the road, 10 plus years, um, I'll consider it. But right now we have, five kids between the ages of, um, you know, five and 12. So wow. we're, we're, we're going to basketball games and uh, I'm about to be coaching a, a T-ball baseball team. So nice. You're amazing, Brian. You, and by the way, you've always been, have you always been that type of personality, like passionate and driven? Like, has there been anything else that you can recall that where you've had so much, you know, passion to, to make a change in, in any other area you can think of, or this has kind of been something that, that really stands out for you in your life of, of really putting your full force behind. Um, you know, I think I've, um, this, this would probably take the cake. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've always been pa passionate uh, about issues when I, when I get involved and I like to argue and make my point. That's why I became a lawyer. And, um, Kind of, uh, you know, I thought about being a, a teacher, of, uh, and I've actually taught at our law school, and I really enjoy teaching at the law school. Cool. It's um, it's kind of one of my side gigs that I don't get paid for, and I really I just like to do. Um, but the the reason the book that I read when I was in college uh, and really convinced me to become a lawyer was uh, Michael Crichton's Disclosure. And if, if you've not read that, that's the book about sexual harassment and uh, had the movie with Mike, yeah. Yeah, Michael Douglas and yeah. Demi Moore. And 
So that's what got me interested in kind of Title VII discrimination type um, litigation, and that led me to law school. Uh, but I've always been passionate. Um, I've always had energy to, to you know, when something's not right, um, to call it out. And I've, I've never shied away from that. It's, is awesome. that something you, you instill in uh, in your children as well? Like, do you speak about these things or just try and lead by example or both? Um, mostly lead by example. I mean, I encourage them to um, have a strong sense of fairness and, you know, e equality and, and justice. And I think, I think those are good principles to have. And certainly I think they, they have them and to varying degrees, certainly my daughter is much more empathetic and sensitive than um uh, my boys, but uh, they all have their their attributes and strong characteristics. Beautiful. Uh, so on that note, we uh, we love to uh, have our guests share their two dad to quit moment. That moment where they were like, "I'm a dad. I'm doing the dad thing, and I could not be prouder." And you know, you just feel like you're the coolest guy in the world. Um, if you know these moments happen all the time, if we would love for you to share one of those moments with us. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a, let me think about that one. That was, that's a tough one. You know, I, I've had some really good moments with um, all three of my children and my, my stepchildren. Um, you know, I think family vacations are always fun and, We've tried to, rather than go real crazy with material presents at Christmas and birthdays, try to invest that money for memories and, and do trips instead. Um, so we, we do kind of big trips for us, um, whether that's to the beach or Great Wolf Lodge or um, nice. St. Louis. Um, and then my two older ones I've taken to uh, recently, New York City and uh, D.C., um, and so kind of building those experiences and, and getting watching them see things for the first time, like, um, you know, the Lincoln Memorial or the Statue of Liberty or uh, the Arch in St. Louis. Yeah. Um, Coolest you know, elevator, like by the way. Yeah, it's, it's that crazy. Ele that elevator, elevator is insane. So for anybody who hasn't been to St. Louis and been to the Arch, basically the elevator is like an egg shape. And it just goes up to the left, up to the left, up to the left. And you're in it and you're like, what the heck is going on? But uh, and yeah. then you get up to the top and the thing is like, if it's windy, it's swaying in the wind while you're up there. Yes, it's, it uh, is an experience. Cool. So I, I think those moments collectively, when they when they look at me and say, this is cool, this is a neat experience. And you kind of, you know, make that bonding moment, uh, share that moment. Um, and, you know, even if it's just, um, like I said, I love fishing and putting them in the John boat and we're out there, just me and them and, you know, having that moment as the sun sets. Those, uh, you don't have to spend a lot of money to have those moments, but you can have those moments with, uh, you know, just uh, out fishing. Beautiful. 100%. Um, and the last thing we'd like to leave our listeners with is, you know, you've been through it. You've started over you've you know you've gone the whole gamut i would say uh you know marriage divorce marriage kids steps kids you know kind of, you got a big spectrum there 
Um, any advice you would give to our listeners that are going through it, thinking about doing it? Um, not sure. You know, 20% of our listeners are actually women, uh, which is really cool. Um, yeah. And I hear they, you know, from the feedback is they just want to hear the other side. And I think, you know, them seeing what it's like after from a guy's perspective, I think has great, you know, great value um, if they're considering it, especially, you know, there's 70% of the women. If we stop 20%, <laughs> I'll be happy. Um, but uh, yeah, so any advice you have there? Um, wow. Advice. Uh, there's a lot of things I would have done differently. Um, you know, you can always Monday morning quarterback. Um, <laughs> yeah. But to be honest, a lot of what the way I look at it is, uh, you know, I, I went through it because it made me better. And um, I wouldn't be who I am today and probably wouldn't be as passionate about the issue had I not gone through it. So um, what I would say is, um, you know, realize that you're not going to do everything perfect. You're not going to do everything correctly. And if you're always trying to do your best and trying to do what's best for your children, um, usually it, you know, in the end, it's going to work out some way or another. Um, and even if it just seems like there's no hope, there's, there's always hope. So don't, don't give up and just keep trying. Um, from a litigation standpoint, I would say just try to um, always take the high road and just don't feed into any bait baiting of conflict. I think, um, I think a lot of dads get trapped in taking that bait and engaging in that conflict and it being used against them um, to their to their disadvantage. So try to take the high road and and just, you know, if there's going to be an argument or just walk away and come back to it another time. Very wise yeah. words. Take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thank you for, for coming uh, before you leave. Yeah. It was amazing. Uh, before you do leave, no, we want to remind everybody uh, to, we want to share your story to uh, dad to quit.com to dad to quit on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and wherever you can find us, we are there. We want to hear your story. Please reach out um, again. As you can see, everybody has a different story to tell. And if you do need or you're interested in, in moving things forward in your state, um, please reach out to Brian. Uh, he would happy to help. And uh, we're, you know, we're really happy that you had the time to take for us. And, Thanks uh, so much. Brian. Honored to be, uh, be with you guys. Uh, you guys stay in touch and um, happy to visit anytime. Thank you for listening to the Two Dad to Quit podcast. Available dadtoquit.com Thanks for listening and don't